To help you all freak out a little bit, I was going to dance to the music a little bit. Then you would all really be freaking out because that's just not a good thing to ever have to see. Anyway, hey, it is good to see each one of you this morning. Um, I hope you are happy to be here today. All right, four of you are happy to be here today. That's great. Um, we're, we're moving up. Um, I want you to know, Reed mentioned that it's, uh, did he mention it was bal- a little chilly? How did he mention it? I, I don't know, but it's up to a balmy 12 out there. And if I speak long enough, according to my technology up here, it'll be up to a balmy 18 when you leave today. Uh, yeah, you guys are suddenly feeling warmer and warmer all the time, right? No need for a coat. Hey, um, anyway, I want to say a couple of things. Um, just going back, I, I want to say thank you to Shrek as well um, as, we, as we recognize him this morning. So, so thankful to him over the last year for the encouragement that he was, for the help that he is every week uh, to me as well. I say thank you for that. To those of you that are wondering, where is Pastor Tim this morning? Pastor Tim is down at the Montrose campus. Part of the thing that Bridgewater likes to do with their pastors, they like for them to see each of the different campuses. Um, and he, when he was up here originally, he was, I believe, here and was also at Tunkhannock. That was back when he was candidating and visiting. But he had not been to, uh, to the Montrose campus yet, and I think there's still, he still might need to go to Tunkhannock or um, Vestal at some point as well. I'm not sure how that's working out. But that is where he is this morning. He is down uh, meeting, um, meeting our, our, one of those at our fellow church down at uh, Bridgewater Montrose. So, we are, so I am glad to be here, glad for the opportunity to be back here with you this morning. Um, this was all going to take place last week, except ICE bumped us out, right? Bumped us out and bumped us to this week where it's just going to be, we're freezing cold, but it's nice and warm in here, and hopefully you are happy to be in here. As I said that, thanks to Shrek, I also want to be reminded to say thank you to each one of you. As a congregation, all right, you have, you have gone through a year where you have recognized your leaders in a very kind and generous way. You have recognized kind and in a generous manner those that have left. All right, you've given gifts and been kind to them as they're leaving. You have also been very kind, uh, kind to Pastor Tim, helping with his house, presenting, uh, providing a, a, just a whole bunch of stuff for him as he and his family moved here. You're very kind to me and my wife, and I say thank you for the many gifts, the gift cards, the different things that you, and cards of encouragement that you have g- gave us over the year as well. And then last month with the, with the gift there and the card that's about yay big or whatever, right? I needed my glasses to see it. Now, um, and then for the gift of even giving uh, to Shrek today, you have been a very generous, a very, um, a very encouraging congregation. And, and I have said for a number of years, it is a glory, it is, it is to the glory of God, to the glory of God and to the glory of a congregation to treat those that are in leadership very well. And you guys have done that. And that is a, that is a compliment to you as a congregation, as a people, those that have been here. So, hey, um, I give you guys a round of applause, a big hand, a big round of applause for what you have done. And I say thank you to each one of you. Uh, great job there. Um, <clears throat> finally, uh, fi- um, this morning's message is difficult, so I've got to delay as long as I can. Uh, I just want you to know my wife dressed me this morning. I was fine not wearing this wonderful attire today, but the, I, would you like me to take this shirt off here? I'll, I'll, oh, nuts there. Oh, shoot, shoot. Um, I was fine just wearing that underneath another shirt and being fine knowing that I had it, and she reminded me, hey, Jordan gave you that nice shirt. 
you should wear that. So that's a true story, actually. Just so you know, um, she's not here to defend herself now, but she was in the first service, and I said the same thing then. But, uh, but, but yes, yeah, so um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I just thought it would be a good thing to wear. Uh, Mason already picked on the Giants fans, so I don't need to do that. And, uh, and he complimented the Bills fans, so I don't need to do that either. But it is good to be here this morning. It's good to be able to pick on you a little bit. And if you hate football, you hate sports and all that stuff, I'm sorry that you have to put up with me for a couple of seconds there with that. But this morning, we're all freaking out. We're into the week two of this series. We are all freaking out and why we don't need to. And this morning's message is, it really, in, in my mind, it's a difficult one. And it's a difficult one because um, I, I, I do not view myself as any sort of an expert in the area that we are looking at today. What I do try to do is I try to study Scripture. I've tried to study Scripture. I try to understand that. And I believe that uh, Scripture is what? It is profitable for what? Instruction. It is profitable for reproof. It is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for building us up as followers of Jesus Christ. I, I believe that fully. And I think that it can speak into the, very, into the very area that we are looking at today. And the area that we are going to look at today is the area of, of depression, and I, I don't know how many of you out here struggle with that, but our, but our CDC would say that one out of five, all right, one out of five struggle with mild, with a mild sort of depression. Now, I guess that's just one that you, you go through and you pass through it quickly. You know, like um, if things don't go well for my team today, I'll pass through that quickly, right? I, I shouldn't just that way because there are others that struggle with more, well, obviously much more serious, but one, one out of five. And when the CDC says that one out of five, just 10 years ago, that number would have been one out of 10. And they also say along with that, that one out of 36 struggle with major signs, with, with bigger forms of depression, forms of depression that affect their sleep, forms of depression that affect their eating, form of, forms of depression that affect their social interaction behavior, um, affect their thinking. So depression is, a, is something that is out there, all right? And each one of us, you may struggle with different forms, mild to moderate to, to, to larger. I don't know where you're at on that scale. But what we are going to do this morning with this portion of the series, we're going to take a look at how is it that we combat? How is it that we can go against the depression that wants to grab on and hold on to us? Let me say this. If you are somebody that struggles with depression, this is really a beginner's or maybe a beginner's guide, an introduction, a look at what the Bible says. Um, I would always encourage those that struggle with that. You want to seek additional help. And I'll say that again at the end, that we want to be individuals that are seeking help if that is what we need, if we need help in that area. But as we look at this, and as I said, I, it's an area that, uh, that I that certainly you don't feel qualified to stand up in front and speak. So what do I do? I, I look to scripture and I look for opportunities to look at individuals there. And what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the life of David. I want to look at the life of King David for a reason, because David is a hero of the faith. And yet I believe David is an individual who certainly relates to the emotions of the human, of, 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 of us as humans. Um, read the Psalms. If, if, if we read the Psalms, we can see, and, and we will read some Psalms a little bit later, but as you read through the Psalms, you see that David is able to reach out and touch the emotion that humans feel, that you and I feel, all right? 
three, two, um, if we go 3,000 years ago, as he is writing these psalms, as he is penning them, and others that wrote the psalms, they were able to reach into the emotions of people, into the emotions of us as people. Some of us, you may look at songs, right? Music is, uh, music is the doctor, correct? Maybe I should write a song by that title. Some of you might get that, all right? Anyway, um, but, but right, we should, music is the doctor. We, we look at that. And what were the psalms? They were psalms. They were, they were songs that they would sing. There were things that they were, they were, they were those words, those verses that they would play through their mind. Why? Because it helps soothe the soul. And David, an individual who writes psalms that go to the deepest and darkest of emotions and also to the great elation of the celebrating our Lord and God, right? We have, a, we have a David that was able to do that. And I think there's a story that gives us some insight into his life. We're going to be looking, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to, first Sam, or excuse me, to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, if you use it on your device, that's fine as well, or we will have the verses up here. But David, there, there's a situation in David's life that I believe, Scripture certainly doesn't say that he's into a depression, but I, I certainly think he's leading into that direction. And I think we as individuals can learn from that and hopefully be encouraged by the life of David. The passage that we're going to look at today is um, David is along in his life. He's over the age of 50. Um, he, has had, he has since had this um, along in life over the age of 50. What am I saying? He's a young guy still, huh? Man, I got to catch myself with things like that. Anyway, David's a young man in his 50s, maybe a middle-aged man in his 50s if it's that far along, right? But but this, the story that we look at today is it's going to be after the story of David and Bathsheba. And if you understand, if you take a look at your reading of, of 1 and 2 Samuel and the account of David, one of the things that you'll notice is when David comes on a scene in 1 Samuel and up until the middle of 2 Samuel, you'll see that the life of David is really a progression. If you, if you want to take it, things just progress upward, upward, upward for him until he becomes the king and until he's a ruler of a great nation. And I don't mean that there aren't any difficulties. There were plenty of difficulties along the way, but David continually sees victories in that, right? And you can continually progresses. But once you hit the, once you hit the um, chapter 11, 12 of 2 Samuel in the story of David and Bathsheba, suddenly there's a, there's a little peak there, if you want to say it that way, and it kind of heads down the other way. And on the other side of that, we see a vulnerable, maybe, maybe a, I guess that's probably the way to say it, a vulnerable David. And that's what we're looking at right here, a David's life who isn't all perfect, who isn't all right. And here in this story, what we're going to see is we're going to see David who is be, there is a coup being formed against him. And in, the, in this presence of this coup that is coming up against David, instead of staying in the city and fighting, David is going to grab those who are close to him, his family and those that are around him and, and his lead officers, and they are going to leave the city. And in the process of leave, leaving the city, the people that are forming, well, the leader that is forming the coup against him is going to come into the city and overtake and try to establish himself as the new king. And that would be heartbreaking and that would be difficult enough in your life if you, if you were the king and somebody is establishing a coup against you. We're not the king, so there's not going to be a coup established against us, right? But it's hard in our lives we can relate to the fact that when there are things that are coming against us from other people, 
Maybe it's another family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that you know, a friend. Maybe something's going on. And suddenly things seem to come against you. In David's life, it, it's hard and it's difficult. But you know what made it more difficult in this situation? You see, the coup wasn't being led by an enemy. The coup wasn't being led by somebody outside. The coup was being led by David's own son. Wow. That suddenly makes it a little harder, doesn't it? How do you respond? Not only is the coup being led by his own son, it's being led by a son that David wanted to succeed him as the king. And yet his son Absalom is leading this coup against him to run him out of the city. And that is where we pick the story up. We're going to pick the story up in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And as we look at this, it is they are leaving the city. And I want you to see what David says. Then the king, that is David, said to Zadok, uh, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his, dwe- in, in his dwelling place again. And he continues, but if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do with me whatever seems good to him. So the situation is that David is leaving the city and they are taking the Ark of the Covenant of God with them. And they're taking that with them for a purpose because where the Ark of the Covenant of God is, is the power, is the presence of God. We are going to keep that with you, David. Why? Because you are the king. We are not going to leave that in the city for Absalom and his followers to come in and then they have that. We have the Ark. We are the power. And David says, no, no, take, take that back. Get it back into the temple where it belongs. And what is he saying here? He's saying this right here. If God is pleased with me, he'll bring me back. But if he's not, I am ready. Let him do with me whatever seems good. And maybe in your life and maybe in my life, we are comfortable to say those words. We're able to say that, Lord, whatever your will. Not my will, but your will be done. And in the midst of saying words like that, it may bring peace, but it doesn't mean that it, doesn't, that it eliminates all that struggle that is inside of us, the anxiety, the worry, the difficulties. It doesn't eliminate that right away. It continues. And we're going to see that with David here. And as, as we move forward in the story, but David continued up the Mount of Olives. David continues as he's leaving. And look at the emotion that he has, weeping as he went. His head was covered. And he was barefoot. Does that sound like a man that is preparing for a war, that is preparing for battle? Or does it sound like a man whose heart is broken over what has taken place? You see, this is a man that is broken because what is going on? And as you read this entire story through there, we are going to be jumping through and we're just catching a few parts of it because I want us to see David and his emotion and what is taking place in his life. But if you read through the entire story, it is a story that... that just involves so much within the family inner dynamic there of what takes place between him and Absalom. And it's, uh, it's heartbreaking in many ways. But weeping as he went, his head covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too. And they were weeping as they went up. When David had gone a short, when, when David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, and a hundred cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? And he answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and the fruit are for the men to eat. And the wine is to refresh those who have become exhausted in the desert. As we look at this passage right here, 
I want you to think about this idea right here. What is this individual, what is he, what is he, what is he recognizing? He's recognizing that there are people that are broken. There are people that are in need. There are people that are in need of encouragement. There are people in need of being lifted up. There are people that are in need of physical physical help, right? Donkeys for the king's family to ride on. Food for the men to eat, right? Um, What I am trying to do is I'm trying to relieve you. I'm trying to help you. You see, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of brokenness, what is it that we want? What is it that we desire? Isn't it nice to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to have somebody come alongside of you and provide a little helping hand? In the midst of this right here, that's what happens. We talked this morning right here as a church. Uh, as a matter of fact, a number of you, look at, look at you. you. You all get up, you came in on a cold morning. Can I tell you what? On a morning like this, it is much easier to stay in your house and stay warm, isn't it? It's much easier to stay in your bed that is warm. I don't have to go to work. I don't, the Eagles don't play till one. Um, I'm, I'm good. I can stay right here. All right, I'm perfectly fine. And yet, what do we do? We get up and we come and we join together. Why? I would imagine that for a number of you, it's because I want to be encouraged. I want to be lifted up. I want to see somebody. I want to say hello to them. I want to encourage that person. As a church, we have small groups that we're saying, hey, we want you to sign up for this in the back. Why do we want you to sign up for small groups? Well, because we want to have good numbers of people at small groups. That's what's important. No. Why? Because we think that life is better together. And what do we think? We think that if you get together with other people and do life together, maybe somebody can be a Zeba in your life, or maybe you can be the Zeba in their life and encourage them and lift them up at the time when they are in need, right? And that's why we believe that. And that's why hopefully many of you join together here. Why? Because we want to be an encouragement. We want to be encouraged. We know that there are people that can encourage us. Take the last two years, right? Go into quarantine, go into lockdown, work at home, stay home, and suddenly you're home and by yourself all the time. We're home and by ourselves. We're alone. We're separated from those that used to encourage us, that used to be able to give us some encouragement. And then what are we trapped doing? We watch news that reports what? How good things are every day, correct? Oh, no, you don't watch the news that I watch, apparently, huh? Um, no, we want, right, right? It's how bad things are. And what happens? Of course, anxiety is going to build up. Of course, worry is going to build up. Everybody's going to die. Oh, my goodness, it's all over, right? It's done, we're, and we just worry. And what does that lead to? It can naturally lead to depression. It can naturally lead to thoughts of, man, broken. Well, right here we have an individual who steps in. He sees a need and he wants to encourage. As King David, he continues along the journey. The next passage continues on and it says this, as King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. Now, I just want you to let, let you know, as Samuel, as Samuel is writing this down for us so that we know, there's an individual from Saul's family. Who was Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel. David is the second king of Israel. David is not a descendant. He is not related to Saul other than that he is related to Saul and that, he is an, that, that they are all related back to Jacob, correct? But, but David is of the tribe of Judah, 
Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. So this individual, he doesn't see David as the rightful king. You're the wrong king. You shouldn't be the king. As a matter of fact, he has held bitterness for a number of years because David is not a new king. David has been king for decades. So this gentleman right here, he has some issues as well, but he's going to come out and he's going to give Saul and his people grief. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. And as they continue down the trail, this gentleman stays along the side of them, keeps throwing stones at them. And I want you to know, um, as a matter of fact, let's just jump to the next verse here as we look at this. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. What we just skipped over there in the passages, the, the verses that we skipped right there, were the people of David looking and saying, hey, you want us to go take care of him? Let, we, we can just, we can take care of that problem. And David said, no, no, let him continue. And he continued as they continued on their trip. And he continues to throw stones at him, continues to throw dirt, continues to hurl insults, continues to curse at him. And everything like that. And they put up with it along the trip. The king and his people, as we continue on, the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. And there he refreshed himself. Has there ever been that point in your life where you're exhausted? Has there ever been that point in your life where you need refreshing? Right? Anxiety and worry can do that to us. For those of us that may struggle with depression, what happens there? We don't feel like we can get that relief, right? You're looking for it everywhere, but you just can't seem to find it. Where is it? I talk about David because David's a man who, as I mentioned, he relates so well to our emotions. Look at this, Psalm 69, Psalm 69. These are the words from here that David writes. Save me, O God, for the waters come up to my neck. Is he drowning in water? No, that's not the case. He's feeling like water is all around him. He's feeling like he's in the abyss and it's just all around. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. They hate me. And it's so numerous, I can't keep up. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, and an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. God, I still have a zeal for you, and yet there is still this miry depth in my life. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me. And I am a song of the drunkards. Does that sound like a guy who's thrilled with everything that's going on? Or does that sound like a guy that's broken and in despair? That's David. Hero of our faith. What? He struggles he struggled with the emotion that's within him. And this psalm doesn't sit alone. There are others that go with it as well. So what do we know about it? So what can we understand? What can we know about depression? Number one is it's real, right? You, you already knew that. You didn't need me to say that. 
But you know, sometimes people want to just tell you, oh, just get over it. It's all in your head. Well, is it? If you struggle with it, you know better than that. You know that's not the case. If it was that easy, you would have gotten over it. It's not like you want to hold that and carry it around, right? It's difficult. It is real. Number two, it's not sinful. It can be the result of sin in our lives. Don't, please understand that. Sin in our lives can lead us to depression. But the depression, the result of that, all right, that's, that's not the sin, all right? David struggled. He talks about these things, being in mire, be, being mired, just being struggled, the darkness around him. And it has a cause. It does have a cause in our lives. Let's take a look at what some of those causes may be. Some of the causes that you, you may struggle with in your life, physical or biological. Do you realize within our, within our lives, some of our own physical behaviors, some of the things we do physically can lead to it, but it's also there's the idea that biologically there may be a bend in you towards it. Maybe it comes down from part of the heredity in your family. Maybe it comes down from part of the sociological aspect of your family. And reading a book about this, <clears throat> J.P. Moreland is a pastor who writes this, the idea, who writes the story about him growing up in a family where he had a, he had a mom <clears throat> that was just struggled with anxiety to, to the 10th degree. Everything. She was anxious about everything. And it was certainly brought on by a grandmother who was also very anxious. So down through the family. Then he had a father who passed away from cancer when, when J.P. was seven years old. So his mom had struggled through that, through, through the part where he had first gotten it, and then as he, as he continued on forward with it. And he talks about the idea of just the struggles of the anxiety and growing up in that and how it overwhelmed him in his life. You see, worry and anxiety, they can bring on depression. Our physical or our biological makeup, they can make us more tending towards depression. How about spiritual? There's a spiritual nature that goes on in our lives and spiritual warfare that can take place in your life that attacks us and draws us back and takes us down. How about this one right here, self-focus? This is one that is difficult, but I think something that we can work on in our own lives, right? Self-focus has a tendency to do a couple things. If I focus on myself all the time, I'm not looking out for others. And when I don't look out for others, I become concerned with what? Me and only me. And when I become concerned with me and only me, I either think that people don't appreciate how great I am, right? Which causes me depression. You guys don't realize how great I am? What's the matter with you? right? You guys must have problems. You should be, right? Or, or the opposite becomes the truth of it. I look at myself and what do I do? I think how horrible I am, how horrible I am that I behave this way, that I think this way. And then all of a sudden I become depressed and I beat myself up over that as well. And it's painful and it brings pain to people and hurt to people. Circumstances. I don't know your circumstances, but circumstances in life, things going wrong, you know what, just things like that can bring depression in your life. So when I go through this list right here, by no means do I sit here to say, uh, let's, let's belittle this idea of depression. We don't walk in other people's boots. We don't walk in their shoes. We don't walk in their life. And we don't know the circumstances that they've grown up through or that they are currently going through. But what we do know is we do know that we have a God that cares. And what I want to do is I just want to look at some ideas as to how we can fight depression in your life. And for some of you, you may say, I have already done all of this. And I would encourage you, if that is you, I, I want to encourage you, continue to seek help. Maybe it's professional help. Maybe it's more pastoral help. Maybe it's more pastoral counseling. 
But I believe that there is help there for you. And I would encourage you through that. So how do we fight it physically? Just a beginner's guide. How, how, do we, how do we look at it if we have this physical thing? Look at this. In vain. There's a psalmist saying this. In vain. Right? In vain. Uh, you rise up early and stay up late toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Right? We can, we can decide that I am going to work myself to death. And in working myself to death, I can become depressed. Why? Because in vain, I realize that all this toil, all the toil that I want to do, it never gets me ahead. It never gets me everything that I want. And what does the psalmist say? He says, but, but he grants sleep to those he loves. Can we just be still sometimes and know that he is God? Can that help us in our lives? Can it help us in our walk? How about mentally? Are there some ways, things that we can do mentally, right, to work against this? Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians, he says these words to us right here, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, right? When it comes to my mental capacity, when it comes to my mental thinking, sometimes it's the things that I focus on the most, right? If I'm scared to death of COVID, if COVID has got me all worried, guess what I don't need to do? I don't need to be watching the news all day and allowing that to just consume me because what does it do? If I allow it to just consume me, it just continues to take me down a track of making me more anxious, of making me more aware. So what do I need to do? I need to take captive every thought. What does Paul say? Paul says these words here, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things. Those of you that struggle in this area, you may say, I try to do this and it still attacks me. It still catches me. And that's where we need the help of God to step in. We need the help of others that know to step in and help us as well. But that's a starting place for all of us. What is it that we think about? Can we start thinking about these things? You see, Paul goes on to say, whatever you, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. See, we have a God of peace. How, about, how do we fight depression relationally? When it comes to relationships, what do we do? You see, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Think about going back to Zeba there as he brings out these refreshments for, the, for, for David and his people, right? What's he doing? He's bringing out some encouragement. He's bringing out some kindness to them. And as a group of people, you do so well with that around you. Can we do better with it with those that are closest to us? You see, sometimes those that are closest to us, our words aren't always the best. We can think of kind things to come up and say for the people down the street or around, but how about the person in the house with us? Kind actions that we do with them. Paul also tells us these words. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he tells us, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You do that as a church body. You do that in small groups together. You do that with people around you. You're able to carry them on. How do we fight this idea of depression patiently? How do we do so patiently? You see, Paul said this. Paul had a problem, and he asked God, hey, God, will you take this thorn from me? And God responded to him. His response was, my grace is sufficient for you, um, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Maybe in the midst of the depression, maybe in the midst of the difficulties in our life, Maybe God is trying to make himself even stronger, more apparent in your life. 
I consider that our present joy, Paul went on to say this, I consider that our present joy, uh, that our present suffering are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed within us. Maybe sometimes we just need to look out to what we are going towards. You know what? We have a glory that is going to be there. Maybe we can be thankful for that. And maybe that can start working in our hearts. How do we fight it spiritually? Is there something we can do spiritually? Well, we know that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. This is what Isaiah the prophet wrote about, about that coming Messiah. He wrote these words. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus was familiar with suffering. He was familiar with pain. And as a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews even goes on to say it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. We have a Savior that is there, a Savior that is there for us. And Isaiah also said these words, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom of the captives and release from darkness, release from darkness for the prisoners. You know, Jesus walked into the temple one Sabbath and stood up, opened the scrolls that they were ready to read that day, and he read these very words and said, today this has been fulfilled in your presence and sat them back down. The words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we have a God that is close to the brokenhearted, right? The psalmist tells us that, that we have a God that is close to the brokenhearted. Excuse me, brokenhearted. Great words, Joel. Uh, bro- close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. How do we fight depression? Like I say, I, I am not an expert. And this is certainly introductory looking through scriptures, but physically, mentally, emo- relationally, um, patiently, and spiritually. We have a God. We have a God that cares about you, that cares about you and the situation that you are in. He's aware. We have a God that knows that if you struggle with this, it's not always because of sin in your, like I said, it might be a result of sin in your life, but the depression itself, that, that build up inside of you, that is not the sin in your life. It is the result, sometimes the result, sometimes not even a result, it can be the result of other people's sin. And you can struggle and be brokenhearted and you can do all these things and you can still be the person that's waking up in the middle of the night struggling. Still be the person in the middle of the day struggling. And while I believe that scripture is a place to turn and bring those scriptures to mind and start to help and move you forward, if that is you, don't be afraid, as I said before, to seek the counsel, to seek the help of others that are there, that have been there before, that'll walk with you, that'll care for you, that'll lead you through the, through the darkness, through the, through the difficulties of that. And I want to close with this passage because these are the words of Jesus. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
This verse is following where a woman had been accused of adultery and they were ready to stone her. And Jesus said, hey, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And everybody walked away. And Jesus comes back following that passage saying this, I am the light of the world. And it's not just the brightness out there, but when he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, what is he talking about there? Is he just talking we're not going to walk out there at night? Or is he talking about the darkness that wants to grab onto us? The darkness that the psalmist talks about. Darkness that grabs on and wants to hold a, grab a hold of our lives. You see, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And we don't have to walk in that darkness. We have the light of life. It doesn't always solve, this, solve the problem immediately. But Jesus Christ is the light of life. Look to him in the midst of your darkness. Look to others who can bring help to you in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of struggles. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, we say thank you for your word. God, I say thank you for people like David who walked this world, who was a great man of faith, and yet, Lord, he was able to share with us the emotions that he had, the difficulties that he had. God, may we not be individuals who look down and think that, oh, it's just a weakness of your own spiritual walk, but may we be individuals who realize that, you know what, there is a world out there, there is a life out there that is beating us down. And may we look for strength, strength from you, Strength from your scriptures, strength from your teaching, strength from others that are around us. Lord, may each one of us realize the power that we have of words to encourage and lift up and build others up, the power that we have to bring encouragement to those that are around us. Encourage us, Lord. God, I say thank you for each one that is here this morning. Say thank you for these individuals. I pray that you would bless, that you would encourage them. And Lord, if there are any that are struggling with this area of depression, may they put trust in a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine through the power that is at work in us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Before we start this next song, I want to share.